and welcome to another episode of the Roos Podcast. As always, I am Curtis Byers, here with my co-host Matthew Bartlett, the director and managing editor of The Roost, your premier source for Rice Sports news and analysis. All right, we did the defense on the previous episode, so now it's time to preview the Rice offense. Uh, and appropriately timed, because we've just gotten an announcement uh, on this day of recording, uh, that Rice has an official starting quarterback for uh, at least first game of the 2022 season. Yeah, <laughs> breaking news, uh, Wiley Green for the third time in four years as the starting quarterback for Rice football in a season opener. And, uh, yeah, I got to say, uh, I think I am surprised if you've been listening to this podcast or, or reading my coverage throughout the spring and the summer and the fall at this point, it's been the TJ McMahon show for six months. Well, I guess if we go, when was the Louisiana Tech game? Was that November? Yep. So been all tj mcmahon for a long time and we will uh i guess we'll, we will get a lot into the the nuts and bolts of this but just kind of coming out of camp uh for patreon subscribers if you are either with at scrimmage or you read through my notes on that i thought wiley green's second scrimmage was the best i've seen him in a scrimmage setting in a year easy like this was better than any performance he had in the spring. It was better than any performance he'd had in the fall. He was, he was great. He was the Wiley green that beat UAB. He was very ball placement was great. Put the ball out in front of his receivers, made good reads, ran for 50 yards on five carries. And we're talking about TJ being the mobile one. So Wiley was at his best when it mattered the most uh, TJ and the second scrimmage was really bad uh, through the only interception that either of the quarterbacks threw during either of the scrimmages this fall and was just kind of off, was throwing balls behind people, was not as polished as we've seen. His first scrimmage was lights out, perfect. And I think Wiley's first scrimmage was was fine. It was good. Nothing nothing bad, nothing amazing, Just just quality. And then his second scrimmage was great. And TJ was high, high and low, low. And maybe, actually, maybe that's just kind of if we can sum up the Rice quarterback situation and maybe the coaching staff's preferences, maybe to some degree in the quarterback position, that might be kind of what was the driving force. Because with TJ, you're going to get the highs and you're going to get the lows. With Wiley, it might be more. Steady state, make the play, move the chains. Maybe that's the goal. So I kind of think that's how we got here. Uh, what do you think, Carter? Surprised? Not surprised? Where do you kind of land on your spectrum of, of how likely we were to be here today? Yeah, um, definitely surprised. It had, like you said, it seemed like the, the general momentum of the offseason had pointed towards TJ. But um you know, I can't remember if we had if we actually talked about this on the defense episode or, or if the two of us were just talking about it prior to recording. But um, the second scrimmage for most teams when you're opening on a normal schedule is kind of uh, kind of the the money time. You know, it's it's this the time where afterward you're moving into usually teams are going to start prep for their first game 
in kind of the middle of the next week and then move into a regular game week from there. Um, so you kind of have to really make a decision on at least initially who you're going to, who your starters are going to be. So that second scrimmage is really important. It's not the end all be all necessarily most of the time, but it is sort of the, you know, the put up or shut up time for a lot of people. And for all that we've, you know, in, in previous seasons, it's been, um, you know, that Wiley has had these really great moments and that he's been uh, obviously a leader, like he was a captain last year and and someone that the coaching staff has obviously thought he's has practiced very well, that he's been given these opportunities. But this, sometimes when the lights came on, the mistakes came out. Well, Saturday, I guess, was the camp equivalent of the lights kind of coming on and Wiley really rose to the occasion and... Uh, TJ kind of did what Wiley had done before, which was the mistakes came out when the the pressure was highest. And I guess you have to figure that that probably factored a lot in the decision. That this was sort of the um, the final audition, sort of the, the the biggest moment as far as this job goes, and that the um, the <laughs> fifth fifth year redshirt junior. Uh, as these these COVID years have led to weird <laughs> eligibility things, um, that all that experience for him has really paid off. And so this time when, at least obviously this is not a real game, but like when that version of the pressure was on, one of the quarterbacks rose to the occasion and one of them uh, made some mistakes. And I guess given that, you know, the knock on TJ before has that he's been, you know, kind of not careful with the ball and been been sort of a gunslinger in the negative way that um, they felt that this was probably emblematic of what they had with the two. So uh, viewed through that lens, it makes a lot of sense. Um, and you, you just hope that Wiley can kind of carry this momentum forward and and put on those performances in games that matter. Yeah, I think I think that that. That makes a lot of sense from that perspective. I, and I've gone on record. I, I think that, you know, Wiley's issues have been taking care of the football and decision making, which are two big bugaboos when you play quarterback. And it's been in live game situations where just things go haywire and go south. And I think that. I think if you can get a quarterback that is 80% of what played against UAB last year, if you get that version of Wiley, sign me up. I just, I remain unconvinced that, that not, and not even you like, great. I'm just talking, you don't have to complete 85%, just complete like 65 with no interceptions, like, or, you know, two to one, like something good. And we haven't seen it. Like Wiley has 11 touchdowns and 10 interceptions in his career. And a lot of that, I mean, he was thrown, he was dealt a very, very shorthand when he came in as a, a true freshman after being the, the camp guy, after people in front of him got hurt. It was like he got a short stick to begin with. And I get that. And I think that. And and, and I will say this, Wiley has now proved me wrong multiple times, which I, I love. Like, I'm all for it. If you can be better than I kind of initially pegged you to be, go out and do it, man. But this is kind of going to be a point for Wiley because one of the concerns I have with Wiley as the quarterback is he was the quarterback last year against Arkansas and he got benched 
And that was actually the only time in my memory that he's been benched for performance as a college football quarterback. His other three seasons or three stints as a starter have ended because of injury, which is, you know, not necessarily all his fault. Some bad luck in there. So I'm going to have to see Wiley take a bet, take better care of the football, make better decisions. And I need the offense as a whole to rise because I still think that you are leaving the upside on the table by going with Wiley Green as your starting quarterback. Now, the question, and this is the part of the equation that I think we need to, that I'm going to have to reconsider, is how how good is the all the parts around the quarterback position? Do you need to hit a home run, or can you hit a double? And if Wiley can hit a double, maybe it works out. Um, so I, I was I was on the TJ bandwagon all throughout spring and through fall, and you know honestly that's kind of where I still thought that things were heading. But at this point, if they're going to go the other direction, what what can't happen now is you can't go back. Like, yeah, especially well, you got to get through non-conference play at worst one and three, you know, at best two and two. And Wiley, your fifth year guy who has won the job three times, he has to be the guy. Like, yeah, just period. Yeah, you, and you like we know he's capable of of playing winning football. We like we've seen it from him before. It's just is this the year after all this time that he he does that week in week out, and hopefully that's the case. Uh, I don't I don't know if I have a ton more to say than that. Other than well, just, and and I'll and I'll add. Uh, the coaching staff and people on campus are well aware of how important this season is to their livelihoods. Like they know as well as anybody that whoever they pick at quarterback needs to get them to a bowl game. And if they believe that, (laughs) that Wiley's the guy, I don't know if they're right or not, but that's the bed that they're making and they're going to do everything they can to enable him to succeed because they need him to succeed too. So, yeah, I think that we've yeah, with Wiley is far from the only person for whom the pressure is on this season. Yeah. And and I will say if I would I'm still I'm still a little skeptical, <laughs> but it had had it not been for Wiley going out in the final scrimmage of the fall and being and I wrote this in my in our recap, he was awesome. It was the best I've seen Wiley on a football field, maybe since UIB, frankly. Yeah, I mean, 10 yards an attempt and three touchdowns will get it done. I, you know, even forgetting the rushing performance, 10 yards an attempt and three touchdowns will absolutely do it. And then I think maybe I, I put wide receiver at the bottom of the show sheet, but I think that's kind of a natural transition. We can go to the next position because I think it matters. Because uh, one of those completions was a like 15 yard cross to Luke McCaffrey, who caught it with all of his momentum going straight to the sideline. And he just turned it up at about the 40 yard line and tightrope walked to about the 10, made a safety miss and cut it inside and scored. And so Wiley does get credit for, I think it was like a 55 yard touchdown pass, but it was. Luke McCaffrey magic. And I think 
that part of the decision is you now have what we believe, I believe, I won't put words in your mouth, what I believe is the most mature offensive unit around the quarterback position Absolutely, that yeah. Bloomgren has ever had. And it's it's not even close. Well, in particular, like at wide receiver, they have Brad Rosner back, knock on any like anything around you that used to be part of a tree, uh, and and that's in hopes that he will remain healthy. Um but you've got one proven guy in him, and you've got Trey Patterson who had a great season last year, and you've got Luke McCaffrey who has by far, like unquestionably, the most natural talent of anyone they've got on that offense. And so one thing I remember complaining about a lot in the early, especially the early days of this uh, this coaching staff being on campus is that the problem with the quarterbacks a lot of times is that they would just sort of biff the easy ones. Like they would have plays where, uh, you know, it would be a quick little like dump off past the flat and they would overthrow a guy and he'd catch it, but had to slow down so much in doing so that it would be a three yard gain instead of a seven yard gain. So they would, uh, they would leave yards on the table and sort of the, just the little, like the little design plays that are designed to get you, you know, four five, six yards, just to keep you ahead of the chains. Um, with this wide receiver group, with the tools that they have, just making that play every time, just getting the ball to a guy where he can catch it easily and turn up field is going to turn into a big play, like a lot. Like, like that's one of the things that great quarterbacks do is they consistently make those routine plays. And if you make those consistently enough, especially if you've got great talent at receiver, you're going to get some big plays. Like those are going to make it look like you did more than you did. If you're, if you're just time after time hitting that right guy in that right spot and putting him in a position to make a guy, to let a guy or make a guy miss or like put a move on to someone. So um, that play you cited is a great example of like with the ability they have and the playmakers on this offense, like just, just make the easy play when it's there and good things will happen. Yeah, and it's and that's been the most exciting part to to watch because you have like said Patterson was your leading receiver last year and he's your, your third option probably in this offense and they've kind of mixed and they've done a lot of different combinations with the guys they've had so far and I think I think you really like guy guys like said who can play I mean he played X last year you, you can put him at Z, you can move him across. He can, if you need him to be a big slot. Yeah. I mean, you could do that. He has a bunch of versatility. And I think that's something that we've seen just big picture with the offense. That's something we've seen more as, as coach Tui at the OC has had more influence and time to kind of massage the offense to his like his liking. We've seen more of that. And I think just a wide receiver. I, I, we we did an emergency podcast when Luke McCaffrey ended up on campus and we gushed <laughs> over, man, having him on campus for four years, is it's going to be awesome. We thought it was going to be a quarterback. Uh, I guess it's going to be a wide receiver. And just after watching him through through the spring and through the fall, it's hard to convince me that he's not one of the best four or five wide receivers in Conference USA today. Like, in and it's 
I know it's the camp hype, right? And we're like, everybody's so great. But like the things that he can do on a football field, it's, 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 it's God given ability and athleticism that you just, you can't teach. And he's still learning how to actually play wide receiver. So I think having him, he's a better athlete and playmaker than Rice has had at the wide receiver position under Bloomgren. You got Brad Rosner back. You got said Patterson. Isaiah Esdale has become just like a touchdown guy. Like he, they've put him in and he can just, he hauls it down in the red zone. I I'm, I'm racking through my memory of what I've seen from him in fall camp. And I, I'm pretty sure he's caught some passes just across the middle of the field. But the plays that I'm remembering are like 40 yard bombs that he hauls in over DB. So if you got another red zone guy, that's great. Just, Blow by blow, the receiving core. I mean, Kobe Campbell had like a 70-yard touchdown in the first scrimmage. And my knock with him has always been catching the football. Like if he can, which is important if you're a wide receiver. But Usually. if he can hold, he's he's made strides in that area. His his catch percentage has been better. If, if Kobe Campbell is your second option, like he was at points last year, I'm really nervous. If he's your fifth option, now we're talking. Yeah, that is a much better position to be in. So I, I think I think Rice is really, really well stocked at, at the wide receiver position. I think that's going to enable a guy like Wiley Green to get the ball to people that can make plays. And I think, you know, maybe that's something the coaching staff is, is banking on because, I mean, we've seen it all throughout camp. Like, they just go up and get it. And this is another kind of takeaway from the offense from camp. They, in years past, it has been, well, the defense wins about 85% of the drives, and maybe the offense will get a field goal or a touchdown when they're driving against the twos. And that wasn't the case this year. In the scrimmage sessions, TJ and Wiley both put up multiple touchdowns against the first team defense. The drives that didn't end in touchdowns, I think Rice had, I'm trying to think five, five field goals attempted in the second scrimmage and four touchdowns. So that's nine scoring drives out of, we'll call it like 18 or so drives. So you extrapolate that to a regular game and 11 or 12 drives. You're looking at an offense that's scoring what three and a half four touchdowns a game, a couple field goals. That's a, 28 30 point output which yeah that would be a tremendous improvement yeah that would be uh that would be a whole lot better than what we've seen from this rice offense so but yeah it's it's definitely the first time this fall camp where we've consistently had the offense winning at times like it's not been a just like defense 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 man the defense looks really good hopefully the offense well, you know, have an easier time against somebody else. Um, I'm tired of saying the defense looks really good. I'm glad yeah. that we've had some variety. Right. And, and like, that's what you want. Like, like I don't know, watching your team's spring game or, or going to a scrimmage and seeing scrimmage reports, things like that. It's always a weird exercise, right? Because you see a great play and you're like, oh, awesome. The offense did that. And you're like, oh, great. The defense just gave up a 90-yard touchdown. But, like, ideally, there's some balance there, right? You have a mixture of plays made on both sides that are 
good plays made by that side of the ball and not a breakdown or, or a terrible mistake by the other side. And it's felt like for the first time this fall that that's, that balance has been there and that this is an off, this is a team that has, uh, that is truly capable on both sides of the ball, regardless of who the quarterback is. Yeah. And I, the, the chunk plays, that's the kind of the undercurrent of why I think this could work. And it's the fact that with these wide receivers in particular, the running game has been, I think I'd characterize it as good. I don't think it's quite great yet. We'd love to see it get there, especially with Bloom's, you know, roots up front on the offensive line. But it's been consistently pass plays that go for 15 or 20 yards. And I mean, the 70 yard plays are great, but it's been those 15 yard plays where you can, you can get it, get it to McCaffrey, hit him in the slot and make him, he makes a guy miss and gets another eight yards. And now you've got a, 15 yard play and a first down and you've just cut another set of chain moves that you got to get. That's, that's the difference. And I think they've got enough dudes that even, you know, knock on all the wood. And even if there's some injuries, they got enough dudes that they're going to be fine and that's going to happen. And I think if we skip forward a little bit to the running game, I, I am still all aboard the Dean Connors hype train. I I love what I saw. He he did take a little bit of time off, wasn't out there the first scrimmage, the second scrimmage. I think the defense actually won the second scrimmage. I wrote about that on my my practice report. I thought the D-line, Akina was back on the D-line with uh, Quint Tent, and those two and Isaiah Floyd just, they just demolished people on the inside. D-line's going to be good. We talked about that last week, but... I still think what I saw from Dean Connors consistently got the extra yard and I think is, is probably going to be a guy that him too. I, I put him on, I tabbed him as my rising star, one of my rising stars, one of these three under the radar guys that I think is going to pop. And man, if you're telling me you have an explosive wide receiver in Luke McCaffrey and you have explosive running back in Dean Connors and you got maybe three or four other guys that can make plays in key moments starting to feel like an offense. And and I think the running game is going as much as we've talked about the passing game and how improved that's been, it it's going to have to be a give and take. And I think we're going to have to see more from the running game. And, and I think they have the bodies in the backfield to do it. Yeah. And the, I mean, and, and it all feeds into each other, right? Like if you can consistently make plays in the passing game, that forces, uh, sometimes it's as simple as that forces defenses to play more too high against you, which gets guys out of the box, and that uh, opens up things for the running game. So um, it all goes back and forth together. And if you can actually consistently get more push, consistently get more um, consistent blocking from the offensive line, uh, you you get a guy hopefully in Connors who uh, can always get you that extra yard when you need it. And uh, you have the making of something pretty good here, hopefully. Yeah. And that's the thing that the thing that I liked about, about Connors is his ability to, I think so far of all the backs that Rice has had, he's proven to be the guy that can find yards when there aren't any there. And that's, 
that's really a, a skill with running backs that I think is is under underappreciated, and I, and I think that it's worth kind of calling out. So when C.J. Anderson came in as the running backs coach, uh, I know there was kind of some fanfare in the spring when that was announced, but the difference that he's made because you know prior to him, they've had a couple guys come through that room. I think has the running back. Running back's been, I guess it was Robbie Picasso for a couple of years. And then Jerry Mack, was he the OC in running backs at one point? And I think somebody else was in there. Yeah, They've cycled through that room. Right. And I and all this, like, who's coaching a position group? Like, most people don't think about it, but I think it matters. And from the conversations I've had with these guys, Anderson's impact has been massive. It's 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 huge for them. They can be like, yeah. So when he tells me to run this run like this, he he puts on a tape from him in the Super Bowl, juking some NFL All Pro Hall of Fame corner, and they're like, oh yeah. So I do it that way. And I've seen these guys take it and like apply those little aspects to their game, that little shimmy or that extra move or, or where they bounce and when they bounce off of what what read and and it's made a difference so uh, i wanted to shout out cj anderson the the job he's done i think you've seen that from that i think ari broussard has matured and i think i don't think that he's a guy that you can put 20 carries on a game and ask him to go the full load for the season uh he i mean he's had some injury problems in the past and i don't know if that's what you want to do you probably want to cycle through but if you tell me between him and then we haven't seen a ton of Uriah West. Uh, he had a, an ankle thing crop, crop up in fall camp, played a little bit, and then it's kind of taken it, taken it easy before the season. If you can tell me you can get, you know, 15 carries a game, 20-ish, 18 in that range between Ari and Uriah, and then you can mix in 15 carries of Dean Connors, maybe in those more some high leverage spots, like, you got the recipe of pieces and and we're getting a theme. We now have two, three, four guys deep at all of these positions. Whereas, I mean, last year it was Ari and Kalen Griffin and that was it. Yeah. I'm forgetting somebody. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. No, it's always good when you can have uh, as many running backs as possible who are capable of of not only just carrying the load and 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 reducing the wear and tear, given that it's one of the most physically demanding and punishing positions on the field, but also just like you can kind of ride the hot hand, right? Um, it, I feel like everyone who watches a lot of college football has seen those times when a team that normally rotates running backs just sort of one guy is really in a groove that day or that quarter even. And it just gives you the opportunity to sort of uh, find the hot hand, essentially. And, that, and that's and 100%. Guys. Yeah. It's going to happen this fall. You are, There is going to be a game where you have at least two of those top three healthy, and Juma Taviano is going to have 15 carries and 100 yards. Like, write it down. It's happening yeah. right now. He had a 25-yard run up the gut that was very impressive. Uh, in, in the second scrimmage, scored a touchdown. I was like, who is – oh, that was that was Juma. I don't know. He Like, he kind of disappeared and came back. And 
he looks great. He's the fourth. Well, I guess Cam is in there. However you want to differentiate between Cam and Junior Juma for your fourth and fifth options. So, yeah, I think you're going to see a lot of rotation in the backfield this this year. I, I'm i kind of leaning away from thinking that there's going to really be a, a guy that carries the ball 240 times. Like, it's just not going to happen. I think somebody gets to, like, 180. Like, what is it, like, 15 a game-ish? I could see that. But you're probably going to see a lot of different faces. So, I mean, that as long as it works, I don't care who carries the football. That's my official, that's the roost <laughs> stance on the Rice running game moving forward. We have planted our flag on the do not care for <laughs> Hill. Please just be good. Right, please just be good. Speaking of please, please just be good, an offensive line next? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sure. Okay. So, and I and I kind of so I'm I'm actually in the process of right now kind of synthesizing my kind of like five big takeaways, kind of culling through my notes and my thoughts from fall camp. And I think the offensive line is a area where I feel neutral <laughs> to where <laughs> I came into camp. I think the wide receivers check the box, running back check the box. I think even at quarterback, I think I've seen there's two guys that can do it. I don't know if we felt like TJ could do it before the spring. He's he showed me he can. We'll see there. Uh, we'll get to tight end, but but offensive line, the front five, they had their best day in practice in spring or fall and scrimmage one. Like the the run blocking was superb. I think you had three or four different running backs that averaged like five point five plus a carry in that first scrimmage. They were they were holes and they were just usually says a good thing about an offensive line. Yeah, and and DeBraylon Carroll was on the field. (laughs) Isaiah Floyd was on the field. Quint Tit was on the field. Uh, Blake Blake Banish who had. Big sack and scrimmage too on the field. All guys that we think are going to be difference makers on the interior, and it didn't matter. So, shout out to the O line for that. I thought the second scrimmage was a different story. I thought the pressure on the edges. Of course, Akinna was back there. Uh, Trey Schumann was back in the mix. I thought the pressure off the edges was a problem for the offensive line in that second scrimmage. And I think what I've seen so far through both scrimmages is once you get past the first team the second team it gets really dicey really really quickly uh, whoever was in there at quarterback had had almost no time to throw no matter what combination of guys was put in there I think like you mentioned at the top Carter I think that part of it I think the depth on the defensive line and we talked about that last week is awesome so I think Rice probably isn't going to face that good of an interior presence in every game hopefully but if the front, if you tell me the front five, those that offensive line with Ethan Onianwa holding down the fort at right tackle, if you tell me they stay healthy all year, I feel good. If they have an injury, I feel a whole lot less good. I think they might be one or two, you know, bad luck plays away from this being an adventure again. And th- there could be guys, and they could get there. But I started. 
going into the spring and fall being like, okay, I think there's like seven, eight guys who can do it. And, and they still might be there, but just the drop off from first and second. I have some concerns. I think that's just, that's just what it is. I have some concerns. Yeah, I think that's fair. What I also will say though, is, and I'm just thinking about like, uh, from my Alabama fan perspective. So going into this fall, offensive line was a serious question. And the first team, by all accounts for Alabama, has been really great all throughout fall camp. And after every scrimmage, Saban comes out and says, we're just not getting that consistency from the second group. And uh, I'm struggling to remember a time when I have ever heard a college football coach (laughs) talk about their second team offensive line and be like, man, those second teamers, that second team offensive line, they're just really blowing guys off the ball. It feels like no matter where you are under any circumstance, the the coach is always like, we really need to step it up on the second team offensive line. So, and because you think about you're never a a second team offensive line in practice is never like, it's always sort of a patchwork unit and it's never reflective of what the actual sort of pecking order is because you almost always have like, it's not just like a true backup at every single position where like if the left tackle goes down, this guy goes in, the right tackle goes down, it's this other guy. And then there's a separate one for each one. It's like, here's kind of a sixth and seventh guy, maybe like one backup tackle. And I don't know, one or two backup interior offensive linemen, depending on if you have a guy had guys that can play guard and or center. So if the first group that they've been putting out here is one that we have confidence in, then I think that puts you in a really good place. Um, hopefully you have the depth to get to that. It, like I, I, I generally feel good about an offensive line for any team that I'm rooting for. If they have like seven guys, because if you're down, if you, if you, lose more than two offensive linemen in a given season. Things have already gone wrong enough that it's... I'm just scarred. I'm just scarred. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, I know, I know. But I think that's a good point that you make because I'm kind of thinking through and I I still think John Hughes, the West Virginia transfer, uh, it looks looks like Oneano is going to hold on at right tackle. I still think he's a guy that you can plug in Anywhere on the line, I think you're going to be okay. So I think they have yeah. six for sure. I, I I think the coaching staff has been super, super high on John Long. Uh, they brought him in, him and then Mike Leone, two guys that I think both had good springs from, you know, folks that I've talked to and, and have kind of backed it up. So I, I think you're right that as long as you're not replacing like four guys or two guys on the offensive line, if you need to bring in one guy and move him up to play guard in place of somebody – I think you the drop off is not from a hundred to sixty. I think it's the I think it's your right where you get because having all five that synergy is such a huge piece of the offensive line is knowing what the guy next to you is doing, which is hard when you're working through moving pieces on the second second team. So I think that's fair. So I'll I'll dial back my concern a little bit because this is the best. I was trying to think the the group they had with three grad transfers with uh, Nick Leverett, who might be the starting a starting guard for the uh, Tampa Bay Bucks this year if things All work right. out. So he was good. 
uh, him, Brian Chafin, and uh, Deuce, Gooseberry. Uh, that group, I thought, three grad guys. That was a really good line, I think, for the most part. Maybe pass blocking, actually. Run blocking was still kind of adventure at times with them. So I think this group has has the potential to be that good, maybe better. So got to see it. But I think I'm feeling feeling okay. My level of concern is I'm not at yeah. the well, we did death I, I, this year. I wouldn't not, say I'm, I'm going in. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't say I'm going in with like a ton of confidence in these guys, but I feel pretty good that they will perform at a level that Rice needs for this offense to be as effective as it can be. I don't think it's going to be a constant, um, you know, constantly guys in the backfield making hits on running backs early or, or chasing quarterbacks around. So um, I think they've got the guys. And it's, it's honestly sort of a similar situation with Wiley in that they have a whole lot of guys on this offensive line who have played a whole lot of football. And it hasn't always been pretty from those guys, but there is ultimately a benefit to all that experience. And, um, you know, if Wiley's second scrimmage there was kind of the culmination of all that experience and him putting it together, then maybe you think of that first scrimmage as kind of there's proof of concept that, yeah, these guys have played a whole ton and it, it really is going to pay off for them. So um, having, all back, yeah, ha- having all that back, yeah, having all that back, you gonna, know, go ahead. I was just going to say that Wiley actually played better the second scrimmage when the offensive line wasn't playing as good. <laughs> uh, I guess that's. Yeah, I don't know. I'll take it. That. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm not. Uh, I, I'm the offensive line is not keeping me up at night. I guess at this point. Okay, I'm going to tell you what's keeping me up at night. That's our <laughs> last position. It's tight end. And tight end's keeping me up at night because Jack Bradley's been really, really good at camp, and was great this spring, and. Man, he had he had that long, long touchdown grab against Middle Tennessee in 2020. And I'm like, he has arrived. And then he just kind of disappeared. And they had lots of other tight ends. So well, I guess you had uh, Jaeger Bull and Jordan Myers, who was a tight end, but also everything else. So feel pretty good about Jack Bradley. Really, really excited to see him. But behind him. Uh, Gavin Reinwald has missed the last couple of practices. I don't have any update on his availability just yet, but behind um, him. Uh, uh, am I making this up? Didn't he like tear his ACL? Didn't he like post that on Instagram? Did he post this on Instagram? We're having live investigating sleuthing. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he posted the, maybe maybe the coaching staff never announced it or anything like that. But uh, his he has an Instagram post from last Wednesday. Uh, he tore his ACL and is going to be missing the whole season. Okay, so, now uh, breaking news. <laughs> did I just upgrade you from keep staying up at night to panic attack? Well, so I hadn't I hadn't heard. I I hesitate to comment on anything before it's made. You know, I'm not going to hear anything, but I, I did not 
know that that was uh, had been made official and announced, but and was out there. Um, I I had heard new testing, and wow, okay, yeah. So I'm I'm concerned. <laughs> Raised my Tefcon level to high because Rice doesn't have anybody at tight end too. They just don't. They have three or four guys that have kind of split reps with the the first team behind Bradley over the past couple years, past couple years, past couple weeks. And I've I've been left uninspired. Like, I think they're probably going to have to cobble together a tight end two between one of those guys. And I think, honestly, my gut reaction is what we've seen the, the past couple scrimmages. I think we're going to see a lot of one tight end sets with three or four wide receivers. Yeah, uh, there's just not, I guess it's, this is where you feel good about the fact that uh, Tui is more in charge of the offense and that it's a little less the, uh, the uh, you know, jumbo multi-tight end sets that, that Bloomberg used to prefer because... Uh, it ain't happening. Yeah, roster roster says you're playing eleven personnel, and uh, at some point the roster says what the roster says because, um, as much as we would love some of these guys to set up, uh, step up, and if they do, it'll be great. But uh, yeah, you're looking at uh, nobody else listed at tight end, so there are one, two, three, four, five. So Six, I'll seven, kind of run tight. through the list. Yeah. It's J- Jaeger, Jaeger, Habison. He's going to be one of the guys that circles through. Uh, I like his kind of pass catching ability. Uh, can can do a couple things. You're going to have Connor Welsh, who they brought in as kind of like a, like an H back tight end kind of will move back and forth. Can do a couple things. Those two have kind of been, probably mixing in the most throughout scrimmage. And then the third guy that's been in there, trying to think Alex Shirley. Sure. I, I'm, I don't, I don't know how to pronounce his name. S C H E R L E. Shirley. Uh, he's been in there a little bit, but, but I think that's, it's going to be, I would say Welsh and, and Habison, uh, Bowden growing. He's the other one I want to get in Bowden growing. That would those God, what a, those what a guys great are, tight end name. It is a great tight end name, Bowden Groen. So, and he's a he's a JUCO guy that came in from Saddleback, uh, Mater D high school product. So, he's got the the high school football bloodlines in him. That's got to yeah. count for something. But yeah, it's somebody's going to have to grow on the job. Uh, I can, I mean, also on the bad news front, Nate Camper is going to miss of the season again at, at tight end with a, a foot injury. He's now been on campus for three years and has yet to play, which stinks because yeah. dude is a gazelle like that plays tight end. Man, he's going to be good someday. Write it down for 2023, I guess. <laughs> yeah, but there's and I guess if I had to if I'm backing up, there's a point of this roster that I'm like, if you have to have no depth at one position it might be tight end (laughs) like i think they can they can work around it more than they could work around a depth problem at like a line or wide receiver running back 
Like, a lot of teams get by in modern college football with only one real tight end. Um, and if you need to go jumbo sets in, you you throw an extra off, you throw a freshman offensive line out, offensive lineman out there. Like, that's a thing that has been done. Um, it's not ideal to not be able to throw out at least one more guy who, who is, you know, a real threat to catch the ball, but if that's what you got, then that's what you got. And uh, like you said, there are worse positions for that to happen at. So um, hopefully Jack stays healthy. And um, yeah, uh, that's, I mean, I, he, he's a guy who has a ton of ability. He's, he's, I mean, huge, like prototypical NFL tight end size, 6'5", 254. Um and obviously we've seen in uh, very brief flashes has the ability to really be that true hybrid tight end threat. So uh, hopefully he has a great season and hopefully they need exactly no one else. So uh, yeah. uh, we'll see. That's the, that's not a good plan, but it's the plan we have. <laughs> I think that's the, uh, that's the offense. I, I'm ending on a, ending on a low note there, but uh, I think overall <laughs> big picture, we should have happy. done those earlier, right? Let's go back to wide receiver. Let's talk about Luke McCaffrey. That yeah. always makes me happy. We'll have time this year, I think, to talk about Luke McCaffrey. But uh, I guess we'll run through our last couple. The, we I think we decided I calibrated about half of the would you ra- or would you rather? Uh, what's more likely? Last week, those were about on par with some of them. So. We will go see if these are any closer. And I, I, I like these because they help me kind of flesh through other parts of the offense that maybe I haven't thought through as as directly yet. So we'll jump in. The, yeah, so. yeah, go the for first it. one. We got uh, on on offense, mostly offensive focused. Uh, any running back, pick your favorite, scores 10 plus touchdowns. or Someone not named Bradley Rosner or Luke McCaffrey leads Rice in receiving yards. So what's more likely, a 10-touchdown running back or a non-Rosner-McCaffrey leading wide receiver? So I looked at this one at first, and I was like, oh, geez, this is an impossible choice. Neither of these things is going to happen. But I did look back, and so last year, Jordan Myers had eight touchdowns. And in 2019, Aston Walter also had eight touchdowns. So, well, actually, if you expand it to uh, receivers, yeah, scores yeah. 10 touchdowns, periods, Aston had 10 in 2019, and Jordan, I guess, had what? Nine last year had one receiving touchdown. So, even if you're looking at a serious running back by committee, I'd like, Jordan was only Rice's third leading rusher last year. Even if you have a serious sort of committee approach at that position, if they kind of have one guy they lean on at the goal line, especially if the offense just as a whole is a lot better than it has been, and you are just getting more opportunities to score, then I think a running back scoring 10 touchdowns, especially if you let receiving touchdowns count, is not that wild. The only way I see someone besides Brad Rosner or Luke McCaffrey leading Rice in receiving yards is if both are hurt. Because if one of them goes down, then it's going to be the the other guy's show, I kind of feel like. So 
I feel like the the likelihood of either of those guys being the leading receiver is I I, I would happily take either of those two against the field. Yeah, and that's I I'm I've talked all about how deep the right receiver room is for Rice all through this past like calendar year, but I still have to see they need to show me they're going to use more guys before I believe it when it yeah. comes to on the field on Saturdays. You know, it's been a very 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 narrow passing tree since Bloomgren got here and I think part of that's been depth, but you know they, they've had some other guys that have kind of stepped up and had moments and they just haven't thrown them the football and they haven't put them on the field. Like, frankly, it's been the same guys on the field who get all the opportunities. So they could cycle through and say, hey, Luke McCaffrey and Brad Rosner, you're not going to play 85 percent of the snaps this year. You're going to play 65 percent of snaps. And even if they did that, which I think would be atypical from what they've done in the past i don't think isaiah esdale on 35 percent of the snaps is going to outproduce either of those guys now isaiah esdale on 100 percent of the snaps yeah sure but i just don't think it's going to happen until we see it so i lean there too i don't think they like we've talked about i don't think they have a bell cow but man if you're telling me that ari broussard becomes the guy that comes in in inside the 20 and just pounds in touchdowns would not shock me. And I think 10 is a lot of rushing touchdowns. Like when you think through it, but it's not, if you have a good offense, like honestly, like if you have an offense that is scoring touchdowns and you've got to figure that maybe 40% of those come on the ground, like then you should be scoring one to two rushing touchdowns a game. And if you're doing that through 12 games, that's 20 touchdowns. You're telling me one guy gets half of that. It's not crazy. So I lean that way too. All right. Next one is the starting QB on day one plays in all 12 games or rice has a 1000 has a 1000 yard receiver. So for context uh, last year, Jake Bailey was the leading receiver with 700 yards. If you pop back or 714 yards, but if you pop back to the 2019 season, the last full season before that, uh, Trammell and Rosner both had in the 700 to 800 range. So that's where Rice has been before. Obviously, we don't need to talk about the history at the quarterback position. Uh, uh, a thousand yards doesn't sound like that high of a bar, but Rice just, they haven't had a guy hit that in a long time. No. Like, and and you wonder if it. Back. Right. Like the case for that one, I think, is that exactly like you said, they have not tended to go deep at wide receiver. And so if you have just an overall improved offense, it's the same sort of thing as the as the running back touchdowns. It's just sort of like a an opportunities thing. Like if you have an improved offense and you're really focusing on those guys, Rosser and McCaffrey, well, if the. Uh, mostly meh 2019 offense could produce two 700-yard receivers. Can a perfectly average 2022 Rice offense produce one 1,000-yard receiver? Feels plausible. Um, uh, The quarterback one... uh, 
Just, can we come just back for to reference this one after I like the, see how Wiley plays <laughs> against USC? Can I like can I I I just get like a, a you know a pause on this one? The last uh, while well, you think the last Rice wide receiver to reach a thousand yards in a season came in two thousand eight when the quarterback was Chase Jared Clement. Dillard. Who threw who threw for four thousand yards that season? Yeah, Jarrett Dillard. Jarrett Dillard. He had twenty touchdowns. James Casey actually had more receiving yards that year. He had thirteen twenty nine. So, but other than that, nobody's hit a thousand since two guys did it in the same year back That's in two thousand eight. That was a much different offense. So yeah. I, it could happen. I, it's one of those things like. I got to see it, man. I don't know if I can buy it without seeing it. And I and I think that there is a I think like we talked about earlier in this episode, like. I I don't know, like what it would have to take to bench Wiley at this point, like he's the guy like he got benched yeah. last year for McCaffrey because McCaffrey you didn't really know what you had. You knew he was a great athlete. Now McCaffrey's on the field somewhere else. So there's not a McCaffrey. Like the option sitting behind you is not a blue chip son of an NFL player who like can do crazy things with the football. Like we like TJ, but there's nothing at this point that's proven that like, yeah, you know, like that's it's a golden boy sitting behind you. Like that's not the situation. So I think if Wiley's healthy, I'm I'm wrapping my mind around the idea that he's going to be the guy. Every every single Saturday. Well, I guess and one Thursday against UTEP. So I lean that way just because I think it's more if man, not every FBS program has their quarterback get hurt every year. Like that's a weird thing that doesn't happen all the time. I'm trying to remind myself of that. Yeah, it is and like if, it uh, part of me is like, oh, but this uh, this, you know, it presumes that he stays healthy the whole year, doesn't miss a game because he's out. And I'm like, it's not that weird. To have your quarterback be healthy the whole season. It's really not. Like, a lot of teams have it happen, like, most years. So, yeah, I think I ultimately lean towards that, especially with the, not starts, but plays in all 12 games. Also, uh, like, hopefully they have a 1,000-yard receiver. Uh, it doesn't seem entirely out of the realm of possibility. But, yeah, I, I think, I, think I, I lean the same way on this one. Which is actually really interesting because we just said something that Rice having a starting quarterback for 12 games was more likely than any outcome, which <laughs> kind of tells you. Yeah. <laughs> I think a lot. Not not just that we're not optimistic on the passing game. To get one guy that high, I think we're going to have like McCaffrey and Rosner both finish with like 850, said Patterson with like 650, and three guys at like 400. Like, I think we can. What is that? What does that math work out to? No, that's too high. You got to take that down. <laughs> Maybe two guys, three guys with like 250. You pull that together, you get like a 3,200-yard passer. I think we can get there with Wiley. That's not too crazy. Um, all right. Anyhow, next one on the list. Rice has the same starting five offensive linemen all season. You're sensing a trend here. Or Rice averages 4.3 yards per carry this year. So just for I reference. I assume you picked 4.3, that specific number of a number for a particular reason. So first off, uh, from 2018, Rice has not averaged 
4.3 yards a carry in a season yet. Just, just period. Well, I say under Bloomberg. We're talking, you know, modern rice football. And then yeah. if you just kind of look at, I'm looking back over the past couple years, and you look at the best rushing offenses in Conference USA, if you average 4.3 yards per carry, and I'm just talking like just ballpark over the past couple of years, you have a fringe top five rushing offense in the conference. Like that gets you somewhere in the fifth or sixth best rushing offense, uh, which is just average. I mean, some it, it wanes on some years, like, 4.3 yards per carry in uh, 2021, just for reference, that would have put you at fourth, fourth best rushing offense per, you know, that metric. Like, I, 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 there are some stat people that will come at me for using yards per carry as a, a rushing uh, justifier. But yeah, so is Rice going to have essentially a top five efficiency <laughs> yardage wise rushing offense, or are they going to have the same O line all year? Uh. See, this is the one where I feel like the injury starts to come into play because you can say totally normal to have a starting quarterback be healthy the entire season. Is it totally normal to have all five starting offensive linemen health, healthy the whole, whole season? My my gut kind of says that that one is somewhat less likely. Also, these are tough because they're kind of linked, right? Like the right. more of the season Rice has the same offensive line, the better their rushing offense is likely to be. Um, I guess I'm going to say there is a... Ugh. I, ugh, I'm, 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 I'm stepped on this one. Um, I'm, I'm going to go with 4.3 yards per carry. That's and... where I was leaning. I think they can be like, I don't know that they will be like a top rushing offense just overall on volume in the conference, but it's, I think it's relatively easy to see a world where they're like, the passing game is good enough that the boxes are light enough that they can kind of move the chains. I don't know if it's going to be a super explosive running game, but I could see it being an efficient one. And that's kind of, I'm at the point where I'm not ready to christen this offense as great, but I've seen enough from both the passing and the rushing game this fall that I think they can be average at both, which yeah. I mean, that might not be a high bar, but if you're telling me if you can be average at both, I think that rice is committed enough to running the football and they have enough guys that can make chunk plays I think if you can you can sprinkle in because what they didn't have what they haven't had on the running game. I mean, I can like literally list in my head like the the games in which Rice had one of the Walter brothers break a power toss for like a 60 yard touchdown. <laughs> like I can I can run through my head when that happened. They just haven't had explosive plays on the ground. And, and I think Dean Connors can do that. And I think that they have. Shoot, Wiley Green had like a 25-yard run in scrimmage, too. I'm not saying that's going to happen every game, <laughs> but but like uh, Luke McCaffrey in the backfield, like things can happen. I think they're going to have enough plays where they get 10 yards and 15 yards that all of a sudden that, you know, you know maybe the you just pick a random average carry 
your average carry, like on a you know total quantity basis, might still go three yards. But I think you're going to have enough plays that go seven, eight, ten, fifteen. That overall, it's going to be a more effective rushing attack. And then, I would love to see five offensive linemen. I think that's at quarterback where I'm just like, I will believe it when I see it. And yep. I think that's just that's a spot where I feel like just a lot of guys getting hit very hard that injuries will happen. And, and like you've had, like I'm thinking back to, I think like Clay Servan has the, has a 25 game. I think I got this number right. 25 game consecutive starting streak at left tackle, but he missed a game back in I think 2019, literally missed one game. It was at the end of the season. It was like game 10 or 11 and he got ruled out and then he was back. So I think you could easily have something like that where somebody misses a game and you got to move to somebody else and then they come back or not. Who knows? All right. Next up, Rice goes bowling or the offense averages 28 points per game. And I actually think this one is fairly straightforward. I actually think it's a quite probable that, that Rice goes bowling is more likely here. So just looking at the last couple of full seasons, Rice was four and eight, so two wins away from bowl eligibility with some absolutely winnable games in there. Uh, last year with uh, scoring 21 and a half points per game and giving up 36. Uh, so they were close there, and the offense, for all that it was better than it has been in prior years, was not great. And then in 2019, they scored a uh, rather horrid 17.9 points per game. Uh, but, but they only gave better. up like three points per game. So, <laughs> oh no, that was 2020. Yeah. yeah, so like this offense could improve by quite a bit and still be below 28 points, 28 points per game, like they could be at 27 and that would be considerably better than any offense they've had. And if you get about the same defense as you got in 2019, so 26-ish points per game, that gives you a positive scoring margin. That's probably enough to get you to six wins. So I think the more likely path to bowl eligibility for this team is get 2019-ish defense and uh, average-ish for college football offense. And given that they have been... And, and like in 2019, that team was 3-9 and nine and had multiple games that they should have won. So with, many games. With that offense only scoring 18 points per game. So you want to tell me they scored 25, 26 points per game? And... They can't get to a bowl game like that. I, 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 that feels like the the likely good outcome for this team. I think is one where you've got, I don't know, about an even scoring margin, maybe twenty five to twenty seven points per game, and hopefully, maybe you can keep defense a little lower than that. But um, given how close they've been with the stats they've had in the last few seasons, I think that's that's reasonably likely okay i'm kind of settling in in my brain 
that the median outcome for Rice this season is six and six. Like, I just, I, I think if you like, it's like it's rolling sevens with the dice, right? Like more often than not, that's what you're yeah. going to get. Yep. Like, I think if you played this season a hundred times, I think half the time Rice goes six and six. And I think you have a real world scenario where there's the outlier outcome and it goes way high or it goes way low. Like we've seen, we've seen one side. Uh, I'd like to see the other side. So I, I think that's the baseline. I think this is a bold team. This is a bold caliber team on talent. Uh, can you tell me what happens in the Louisiana game? Do they go two and two in non-conference play? If you can tell me what happens there, I think this changes how I answer this question. But what's more likely to happen? I, I, hmm. I feel like this is going to be a team that still wants to trust their defense. Because if I've listened to how Bloomgren talks about this team even in the scrimmages where the first defense, you know, played really well for the most part in the second scrimmage, uh, I think Wiley scored one touchdown against them and, and Bloom was visibly like upset. Like he's like, no, this is our, this is our defense. They, nobody should get in the box. And that's kind of their standard. So I think if you're, I don't, I think the offense can get better. And I think you can have games where Rice is going to win a game like 35, 31 this year, which I don't think they've done in the past, hardly at all. Like it's going to happen. But I think, you're still going to have a team that, man, if they can win 24-14 and they can have the ball in the fourth quarter and just sit on it and grind six minutes a clock out, you're still going to get that. Like, I'm just preparing you guys. Like, that's it's going to be – this offense can be better and it can still maybe not make a Herculean jumping point. So I'm going to lean bowl game is more likely, even though I think it's – I don't think it would be crazy to see a 28-point-per-game offense. Like, that, no, it would not be. Sounds within – and I could see the downside for both. I would just, I would like to, can I have both? That's why it's in here. It's tricky. <laughs> All right. And then next up we have Rice makes the CUSA title game or Rice goes below 500 in conference play. Um, I hate to be the pessimist here, but I, I feel like it's, it's, it's goes below 500. Like, which would be three and five. Yeah. Like, I mean, just just looking at it, especially with no divisions this year, you're essentially looking at is it like is it like more likely that Rice has a somewhat disappointing season, or is better than both UAB and the UTSA? And I don't think it's. I feel like four and four in conference is entirely achievable for this team. Like you said, I think. Roughly 500 through both non-conference and conference play is kind of a median. Hopefully, is is, is like a median outcome for this team. Uh, so, so if we call it three and five. What if what if what what if your options were a title game or two and six? Ooh, let's see. Because that's where I struggle because I can see you can paint a scenario where I just told like it's probably a 500 team with some bounces. You can you can I can paint a scenario where they go three and five in conference and that just the bounces don't go their way again. Like we've seen yep. it. Yeah. But you're telling me that this is a team that like goes through all of this again and, and can't beat like two of three against like Louisiana Tech and Charlotte and 
somebody else. I yeah, I don't uh, know not with this roster. I'll agree with you. A three and five season. I, I don't. I don't want to see it, but I could. Um, I'm not buying in on title game yet. I want to. <laughs> That'd be great, but uh... ready to be wrong. Make it happen. Okay, and finally, Rice wins a game in overtime, or Rice has a player drafted. Um. So the draft streak goes back to 2013. Was the last time they did have a player drafted? Yeah, I got to go back and and I, you know, I should have these things pulled together. Uh, Christian would have been drafted in 2015. Is it 2015? Yeah, I think he might be the last one. That, that sounds, sounds right. right. Yeah. Um, so it's been, although I guess they've had several guys like Austin Trammell. I saw him catching passes. In, yeah. I mean, they've had a lot of guys get Austin drafted Walter and stick is still on around. NFL rosters since then. They just haven't been drafted. I guess the real question here is like, who are the guys that are the, the potential draftees here. Well, like Elijah Garcia, supposedly having a great, great time at a Rams camp. Yeah. So uh, there have been, I mean, there's, I don't know, at least one, but there's been a ton of NFL scouts out to see a Kenna in a Chuku, in a Chuku, man, in a Chuku. Yeah. I'm going to get there, Kenna, for you. But there have been a ton of scouts out to see him. I think. I mean, last year they came to see him and Elijah, but uh, I mean, they've still been back. I, I think he's going to get a lot of attention this year. He would be kind of the guy if I'm looking at who would make yeah. the jump. It, he would be the the one. Now, if we made like this, a, Rice has a rookie make an NFL roster in 2023, then uh, I feel I'd like they've, pretty... they've done a really good job of that the past couple of years. So somebody's going to somebody's going to hang on. Yeah, it's just a question of whether that guy is an actual draftee. Um, how many overtime games have they played over the last few seasons? So, Rice played two last year, lost them both, North Texas and Charlotte, uh, 30-24 and 31-24, basically the same score. Uh, they played an overtime game against Middle Tennessee in 2020. Everyone's going to remember that one because that was the quadruple doink. <sighs> Before that, you got to go back against... to, 20, to 2016. That was a two-overtime game against North Texas. And then you got to go back all the way back to 2013 when they won two overtime games against Tulsa and UAB, both on the road. So Rice is 0-4 in their last four overtime games, haven't won an overtime game in 2013. So first, what are the odds they play in an overtime game? Uh, so it looks like, okay, so, so like, last year you get... Two and then in 2020 you get one and then in 2019 they lost to Louisiana Tech in overtime. So I don't know. I feel like it's reasonably likely they play in oh. one. Do they win it? So uh, there's a, a one in twelve chance that they play in overtime. They got a fifty-fifty chance they win it. So you're telling me there's a 
what four or five percent chance that they win an overtime game next well, year? Well, it wouldn't. It, w- it wouldn't be a one in twelve chance of playing one. It would be. Oh, this is true. Yeah, it, it, one in twelve chance that any given game is overtime. Um, We're bringing out the hardcore math to close this out. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm gonna go draft because I just think it can is great. Yeah, I don't have a hard like given the buzz he's had so far. It seems reasonably likely that if he has a good season, he gets drafted. Um, so maybe you go with that one. Um, I know a lot of folks were surprised when Elijah didn't get drafted, but he does play on the interior, with, which is a, maybe a less, uh, I don't know, a less glamorous position. I feel like edge is like something that every NFL right. team is going to throw a million darts at because if you yeah. can get a guy. Uh, so I feel like that just, I feel like that might give Akina a better shot just because he plays on the edge, not on the inside. Or yeah. he could play on the inside. That's That can't hurt. Like, he can do a couple things. But then, like, it's reasonably likely that Rice plays one overtime game, and generally an overtime game is a coin flip. So, I don't know. What are the odds there? Like, uh, okay, maybe you could say they are... Uh, with with a not great offense, generally they have been perhaps less likely than fifty percent to win an overtime game. So I don't know, put that one at forty ish percent, maybe. Like I don't have strong feelings either way. Um, but for for a kind of sake, let's say uh, let's say let's say he gets drafted. So we'll go with that one. Also, I feel like that just implies that we're having a, a pretty good season on defense. Right. Yeah, you, and you can have an entirely great season without even sniffing over time, which uh, would be quite preferable. So I'm all let's for go that. with that. I think that does us. Yeah, that's uh. So um, that wraps up our last pod before it's uh. It's it's gonna be game week next week, so uh, we'll see y'all then. Be previewing USC and uh, looking forward to some actual college football. So we will see y'all then, and Rice Fight. This show was edited and produced by Carter Spires. It features music from Joseph McDade.